And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's July the 13th, 194th day of the year. 171 days remain till the year's over with. Holidays and observances. It's Beef Tallow Day. Embrace Your Geekness Day, Fool's Paradise Day, Gruntled Workers Day, International Rock Day, <clears throat> National Barbershop Music Appreciation Day, National Beans and Franks Day, National Delaware Day, National Paul Day, National Sam Day. And Sovereignty Day of Montenegro. Okay. Let's see. In 1174, William I of Scotland, a key rebel in the revolt of 1173, is captured at Alnwick by forces loyal to Henry II of Scotland. Um, excuse me, of England. 1249, coronation of Alexander III is King of the Scots. 1260, Livonia in the water suffers its greatest defeat in the 13th century in the Battle of Derby against uh, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. And the Livonian Order, for those that are not familiar, was an autonomous branch of the Teutonic Order, uh, formed in 1237. From 1435 to 1561, it was a member of the Livonian Confederation. And it was formed for remnants of the Livonian Brothers of the Sword after they got defeated by the Zagrobosians in 1236 in the Battle of uh, Sobe. Incorporated in the Teutonic Knights, became known as the Livonian Order. Um, so it was, uh, and the Teutonic Knights were the German version of the Knights Templar. 1558, Battle of Gravelines in France. Spanish forces led by Count uh, Lamoro of Egmont defeat the French forces of uh, Marshal uh, Paul de Thermes at Gravelines. 1573, Eighty Years' War. Siege of Harlem ends after seven months. 1586, Anglo-Spanish War. On this date, a convoy of English ships from the Levant Company managed to Repel a fleet of 11 Spanish and Maltese galleys off the Mediterranean island of uh, Pantelera. 1643, English Civil War. Battle of Railway Down. In England, Henry Wilmot, the first Earl of Rochester, commanding the Royalist forces, defeats the Parliamentarian forces led by Sir William Walter. 1787. Congress of the Confederation enacts a Northwest Ordinance establishing governing rules for the Northwest Territory. It also establishes procedures for the admission of new states and limits the expansion of slavery. 1793. Journalist and French revolutionary Jean-Paul Marat is assassinated in his bathtub by Charlotte Corday, a member of the opposing political faction. Is nothing sacred killed in your bath? 1794, the Battle of Tripstadt between French forces and those of Prussia and Austria begins on this date. 
1814, the Carabinieri, the National Gendarme of Italy, is established. 1813, a General Assembly's institution, now the Scottish Church College, one of the pioneering institutions that ushered the Bengali Renaissance, is founded by Alexander Duff and Raja Ram Mohan Roy on Calcutta, India. 1831, regimental organic, the quasi-constitutional organic law, is uh, adopted in Wallachia, one of the two Danubian principalities that become the basis of Romania and home to the one and only Count Dracula. 1854, the Battle of Guam Mexico, General Jose Maria Yanez uh, stops the French invasion led by Count Gaston de Rosant Balbon. 1863, American Civil War. New York City draft riots began three days after rioting, which would later be regarded as the worst in U.S. history. 1878, Treaty of Berlin. European powers redraw the map of the Balkans. Serbia, Montenegro, and Romania become completely independent of the Ottoman Empire. 1913, the 1913 Romanian Army cholera outbreak during the Second Balkan War starts on this date. 1919, British airship R-34 lands in Norfolk, England, completing the first airship return journey across the Atlantic in 182 hours of flight. 1930, the inaugural FIFA World Cup begins in Uruguay. 1941, World War II. Montenegrins begin the 13th uprising, a popular revolt against the Axis powers. 1951, Rubustorada, one of the oldest still operating wooden roller coasters in Europe, is open at the uh, Lenanmaki Amusement Park in uh, Helsinki, Finland. 1956, the Dartmouth Workshop is the first conference on artificial intelligence. 1962, with an unprecedented action, British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan dismisses seven members of his cabinet marking the effective end of the National Liberals as a distinct force in British politics. 1973, Watergate scandal. Alexander Butterfield reveals the existence of a secret Oval Office tape, taping system to investigators for Senate Watergate Committee. 1977, Somalia declares war on Ethiopia, starting the Agadan War. Also in 77, New York City amidst a period of financial and social turmoil experiences uh, an electrical blackout lasting nearly 24 hours that leads to widespread fires and looting. 1985, the Live Aid Benefit concert takes place in London and Philadelphia, as well as other venues such as Moscow and Sydney. And accomplish nothing. 1985, Vice President George H.W. Bush becomes the acting president for the day when Ronald Reagan undergoes surgery to remove polyps from his colon. 1990, Lenin Peak disaster, a 6.4 magnitude earthquake in Afghanistan, triggers an avalanche on Lenin Peak, killing 43 climbers in the deadliest mountaineering disaster in history. 2003, French DS, DGSE personnel aboard an Operation 16, uh, excuse me, to rescue Ingrid Bettencourt from FARC rebels in Colombia, causing a political scandal and details are leaked to the press. 2008, Battle of Wanat begins when Taliban and Al-Qaeda guerrillas attack U.S. Army and Afghan National Army troops in Afghanistan. 
Uh, the U.S. deaths at that time were the most in a single battle since the beginning of the operations in 2001. 2011, Mumbai is rocked by three bomb blasts during the evening rush hour, kills 26 and injures 130. Also in 2011, United Nations Security Council Resolution 1999 is adopted that admits South Sudan to member status of the United Nations. 2013, Typhoon Suik kills at least nine and affects more than 160 million in East China and Taiwan. 2016, Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron, resigns, succeeded by Theresa May. 2020, after a five-day search, the body of American actress and singer Naya Rivera is recovered from Lake Peru, where she drowned in California. For those who are not familiar with her, she was an actress, singer, model, recognized for her work on the popular musical comedy uh, drama series Glee, where she starred from 2009 to 2015. Um, born in 87 in California and died in 2020 in California. The um, It's interesting that um, in recent years, an unusual number of uh, performers have uh, died. Now, we've been talking about the Kennedy assassination in the last few shows. But I got handed something yesterday that puts a new light on things. Kennedy may well have been assassinated because he signed Executive Order 111110. Uh, one 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 zero. Now the question about who killed Kennedy has been bandying about for sixty years. And well we don't have conclusive hard evidence. A lot of uh, circumstantial evidence is leading to the conclusion that it was done internally. It was a government uh, plant, uh, plot. Now, despite the conclusions of the Warren Commission that the assassination was the work of a lone nut gunman, most Americans still have doubts. And a separate congressional investigation from 1976 to 79 concluded. Uh, on the basis of the evidence available, President Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. But the committee is unable to identify the other gunman or the extent of the conspiracy. The agent, the uh, committee is also unable to find its ass with both hands and a map. There were no follow-up investigations. And as any references as there are to the Warren Commission find most people don't even know about the parallel investigation by the House Select Committee on Assassination and its different conclusion. Now, history hasn't looked favorably on the findings of the Warren Commission. It was basically a joke and a whitewash. One of its major conclusions, which was 
developed by Arlen Specter is known as the magic bullet theory. This claims that one bullet hit Kennedy in the neck, Governor Conley in the chest and the wrist, and another one became embedded in Conley's thigh. Now, this explanation was required to dispel the theory of multiple shooters, since there wouldn't have been enough time for Oswald to fire two separate shots uh, between frames 20, uh, 210 and 240 of the now famous Zabruder film. Um, former senator, presidential candidate, former secretary of state, the climate czar, John Kerry, in between getting his hair styled, said, I'm not sure if anybody else was involved. I don't go down that road with respect to the grassy knoll theory and all that, but I do have questions about whether they got to the bottom of Oswald's time and influence from Cuba and Russia. In other words, in spite of evidence to the contrary, he's not going to differ with the required belief that it was a single gunman. Now, the Warren Commission was considered by a lot of folks to be concerned mostly with the appeasement of the public and quash any theories of a conspiracy. Um, a memo came to light, issued the day of the president's funeral from Deputy Attorney General Nicholas Katzenbach to Bill Moyers, who was a special assistant to uh, President Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson. That's the same Bill Moyers who... Uh, was on NPR. Now this memo, which is part of public record, is dated November 25th, 1963. And it was states very clearly it's important that all the facts surrounding President Kennedy's assassination be made public in a way that will satisfy the people of the U.S. and abroad that all the facts have been told and a statement to this effect be made now. Number one, the public must be satisfied Oswald was the assassin that he didn't have Confederates who were still at large, and that the evidence was such that he had been convicted at trial. The evidence was such he couldn't even been indicted, much less taken to trial. Speculation about Oswald's motivation ought to be cut off. We should have some basis for rebutting the thought that this was a communist conspiracy or a, a right-wing conspiracy. Unfortunately, the facts on Oswald seem to be too pat, too obvious. Marxist, Cuba, Russian wife, yada, yada, yada. Down the police had put out statements on the communist conspiracy theory, and it was they who were in charge when he was shot and silenced. And according to Katzenbach, the matter has been handled thus far with neither dignity nor conviction. Facts have been mixed with rumor and speculation. We can scarcely let the world see us totally in the image of the Dallas police when our president is murdered. He said, I think this objective may be satisfied with making public as soon as possible a complete and thorough FBI report on Oswald and the assassination. But this may run into the difficulty of pointing to uh, inconsistencies in this report and statements by the Dallas police, but the reputation of the Bureau is such that it may do the job. I would say the reputation today puts him right on the level of the Keystone Cops. The only other step would be the appointment of a, special, a presidential commission of unimpeachable personnel to review and examine the evidence and announce its conclusions. 
Well, this memo came out within three days of Kennedy's uh, assassination, and Katzenbach began to write it just hours after Ruby killed Oswald. Clearly, he was saying, whitewash this sucker. Now, you also have to look at the members of the Warren Commission. One of them was former CIA Director Alan Dulles, who was considered by many to be a prime suspect uh, in the assassination himself. After the Bay of Pigs fiasco, he was forced to resign as CIA Director in September 61. And Kennedy made the comment he wanted to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. So after being fired by Kennedy, he's appointed to the elite group tasked with investigating Kennedy's assassination. And not only was he suspect in that regard, a number of reports suggest he was extremely strong-willed and fought for control of the meetings with Chief Justice Earl Warren. He, in fact, became the de facto chairman himself. Of all the people who could have been selected for such a blue-ribbon panel, why Dulles? And then John McCloy was another Warren Commission member. His former president of the World Bank from 47 to 49 served as the chairman of the Council of Foreign Relations. The 1936 Berlin Olympics, he sat in the Fuhrer's box with none other than Hitler himself. Later appointed the U.S. High Commissioner over Germany after the Allies defeated the Nazis in World War II. He's the one that commuted the life sentences of five Nazi doctors known for some of the worst atrocities of, uh, during the war. Also one of the original organizers of the Office of Strategic Services, which had later became the CIA. He served in the Kennedy administration as an advisor to the president. His participation in this commission symbolized a representation of, of the uh, banking elite, a group notably referenced throughout um, what we're going to talk about. Once you reach the conclusion the Warren Commission was packed with Washington insiders and it was a sham and a cover-up, there's just one question left to ask. What possible motivation could our government have for a whitewash of the truth in this manner? For misdirection to occur on this scale, it can only be surmised that very powerful people didn't want the truth to come out. So it's clear that the Washington establishment was probably involved in the assassination plot or at a minimum knew about it. They did nothing to stop it from happening. And although there have been countless Freedom of Information Act lawsuits by researchers and reporters, there were reportedly more than 50,000 documents related to the Kennedy assassination still residing in our national archives. If there was not a conspiracy, and this was actually the work of a lone nut gunman, why are these documents still being sequestered? And what national security secrets from 60 years ago would be worth guarding today? There have been untold numbers of surveys of the American people, and these consistently find that more than 65% don't accept the findings of the Warren Commission. Too many lies have been told, too much has been covered up, too many curious deaths of key witnesses, and we've talked about 90 of them, uh, including Oswald himself, as well as Jack Ruby. 
And a lot of people today believe this was a coup d'etat. You can draw a reasonable inference about why the government is holding out on the release of thousands of documents. It's justifiable to assume that the release of these documents would confirm the existence of a conspiracy. And it's also clear that the magnitude of its implications would be explosive. How exactly would the population react to such a revelation? Would the release of this sequestered information make it clear to anybody in doubt that there are powerful individuals and dark alliances that still hold enormous power even today? Would this make the idea of a new world order more than just a conspiracy theory shared only by those who wear tinfoil hats and live in their mother's basements? If Oswald acted alone, why the secrecy? Why not just release everything and let the evidence speak for itself? Well, in 1963, America was a different time and a different place. The so-called age of innocence. It was a time when people left front doors unlocked and felt comfortable leaving keys and ignitions at their cars. The entire federal budget at the time was, wasn't but $100 billion, and the cost of the stamp was four cents. It'd be f months before the Beatles even got here. John Kennedy had been in office just over a thousand days, but there were a number of events of major consequence, including the creation of the Peace Corps, the Bay of Pigs invasion, the Cuban Missile Crisis building of the Berlin Wall, the Civil Rights Movement, the Vietnam War, our efforts to put a man on the moon. Now, a lot of the fingers have been pointed by Washington at Lee Harvey Oswald. He was born in New Orleans, 1939. He'd be 74 today if he hadn't been killed by Jack Ruby. Idolized his older brother, Robert, and Tried to follow in that brother's footsteps. Listed in the Marine Corps. He turned 17. He was a radar operator. And contrary to rumors, he was never trained as a sniper. Didn't possess superior skills with firearms. In fact, he qualified with the rating of sharpshooter. But that was downgraded to marksman, which is the lowest of the three ratings awarded by the Marines. <clears throat> During his time in service, <coughs> excuse me, he actually faced a court-martial after accidentally shooting himself with an unauthorized twenty-two caliber handgun. After serving less than three years in the Marines, he applied for and was given a dependency discharge on the representation his mother had medical issues and needed his assistance. When the Marine Corps learned later on the real reason he wanted to an early out was to defect to Russia. At that point, his honorable discharge status was changed to undesirable. After he got that discharge, he immediately applied for a passport and made plans to travel to Russia as a student. And before he got there, he applied for political asylum. Now, I really doubt, as young as he was, he had all this worked out without any help. 
after defecting and lived in Russia for three years and came back to the States in June of 62 with a Russian wife. Her name was Marina Bikolaevna Prusakova. Today she's known as Marina Oswald Porter. And she's 72. No, I'm sorry, 70. Late 70s. Now the media would have us believe that Oswald acted alone and was motivated out of an anti-American view he developed after leaving the military. But if that's the case, we wonder about he and his Russian wife being allowed to come back to the U.S. after his defection. And in fact, the U.S. government even gave him a rep repatriation loan of $435 to cover his return travel expenses. Very unusual action. Uh, I had a um, contract CIA agent appear on a show I did in California years ago, and he had been sent in to clean up loose ends in Dallas. And it, um, very few people know Oswald apparently was bisexual, and he had a male lover that he left to go to Russia. And the contract agent took the male lover to the airport when Oswald returned, and Oswald didn't recognize him, which raises the question of whether or not the man that came back was the man that went. <clears throat> that has never been addressed. Now, despite... Attempts to get him released, Oswald's tax returns are still classified. Even though his widow has authorized their release. Now, why might people want to see the tax returns? It'd reveal if he was on the payroll of the government after he left the military. Now, in 2017... Documents were released under the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992. So a lot of documents are now in the public venue that raise even more questions. Now there are two other significant facts about the shooting that had never been addressed. If Oswald was a lone nut gunman, his best shot would have been at the motorcade as it approached the school book depository on uh, Houston Street, not after the turn onto Elm. That's why many people believe at least one other shooter was positioned in the grassy knoll area that everybody talks about. It provided adequate elevation to see the motorcade without the obstruction of spectators standing at street level. And it was also a fence which would have provided cover for shouldering a rifle. It would have made no sense for Oswald to take the shot as the vehicles were moving away from him, unless he was acting in concert with at least one of those shooters. Most serious researchers believe there were at least three, maybe four, shots. And it's likely they would have all taken place at approximately the same time. Probably coordinated by radio communications or a visual 
of a visual cue, such as opening an umbrella, which did take place. Now, one of the most troubling elements of the assassination is the death of Oswald himself. In the basement of police headquarters, no less. Now, the president was pronounced dead on Friday, November 22nd at 1 p.m. Central Time. Oswald was arrested at 1.49 in the Texas Theater. Now, if you just assassinated the president, why would you go watch a movie? Jack Ruby, born Jacob Leon Rubenstein, Dallas nightclub operator, was seen on multiple occasions inside Dallas police headquarters after Oswald was arrested. There's even a newsreel footage that shows him impersonating a reporter. Now, this certainly provides uh, convincing evidence that um, the shooting of Oswald was not a spontaneous act by Ruby, as he maintained it was. Supposedly, he shot uh, Oswald to keep uh, Jackie Kennedy from having to come back and go through a trial. Most people believe Ruby was armed and ready to pull the trigger on each of his previous appearances at police headquarters. He didn't get that opportunity until uh, Sunday morning in the basement of the police headquarters. That was when Oswald was in the process of being transferred to the county jail and was shot by Ruby at 11.21 a.m. Now, in actuality, if you thoroughly research it, you've got more questions about Ruby shooting Oswald than about Oswald shooting Kennedy. How did Ruby get into the basement of police headquarters with a gun? And why did the Dallas Police Department withhold details from the Warren Commission about how Ruby was able to gain access to the basement? Now, the there's been suggestions that the Ruby's connections to organized crime were ambiguous, but actually they're rock solid. There's a lot of information about his mafia connections. He used to, as a boy in Chicago, he ran errands for Al Capone. He was a union organizer in Chicago in 37, had connections to Jimmy Hoffa. He was involved in gun running activities to Cuba, friends with gambler Louis McWillie, who was connected to the top mobsters of the day, including Meyer Lansky, Carlos Marcello, and Sano Traficani. Now, the real question you should be asking is why would Ruby, on his own, decide to go kill Oswald? And how did Ruby know that Oswald was the man that actually shot Kennedy? And Ruby certainly knew he'd be arrested if not killed on the spot if he fired a weapon inside Dallas Police Headquarters. He also knew one loser draw, he's going to be prosecuted for his actions, even if Oswald actually was the man to kill Kennedy. Now, Ruby wasn't known for being a Kennedy loyalist, it should also be noted death penalty was in effect in Texas at the time. So Oswald, if convicted, would have been executed for his crime. There's absolutely nothing that explains Ruby's willingness to give up his own life in exchange for Oswald's. 
his involvement to kill Oswald doesn't have any rational sense to it without the existence of a larger conspiracy and the need to keep Oswald quiet. Now, Oswald may have been brought into this conspiracy for the sole purpose of being the fall guy. He might have been a shooter as well, considering his history, defection to Russia, suicide attempt, and his somewhat eccentric behavior. He'd be the perfect candidate to be cast as a lone nut gunman in an elaborate conspiracy. Now, one of the reasons there's so many theories about the assassination of Kennedy is, frankly, his long list of enemies. Now, all presidents have adversaries, and getting to the nation's highest office brings with it a figurative target on your back. But Kennedy had plenty of enemies. Now, history has been very kind to Kennedy, and the news media treated him almost to the level of worship that they treat Obama. In his novel, Surrounded by Enemies, Bryce Zabel uh, gives the opinion on what it might have been like for Kennedy if he was not killed and lived to a second term. Now, most people remember Kennedy, our youngest president, in a very favorable light, even though the actual truth exposed it a less than attractive profile. One thing that's clearly unique about the Kennedy assassination and investigation is the list of suspects. I mean, most homicide investigators are able to quickly focus on a single suspect, but in the case of killing Kennedy, the issue wasn't who could be added to the list of suspects, but who could we leave out? Now, Kennedy had political adversaries. No question about that. All politicians do. But more than that, he had outright enemies, not only overseas, but here at home. I mean, multiple assassination theories even include the involvement of his own vice president, Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson. Now, they couldn't have been more dissimilar, even in physical appearance. Even though Kennedy was six feet tall, Johnson was six foot four. Johnson was 51, Kennedy was 43 in 1960. And although a bit of political rivals for the 60 Democratic nomination and selection of Johnson as his running mate made Kennedy's, uh, was Kennedy's only logical move to placate the South. But it was certainly a strange pairing. And though Kennedy did carry Texas in the 1960 presidential election, it was only about 2%. And the joining of Kennedy and Johnson was a, a match figuratively made in hell. Now, how do most people remember JFK? As a young, handsome, dapper dresser with a Hollywood smile and a gregarious personality. Known for being especially charismatic, charming, and a magnet for both women and men. He was a consummate politician. Well, he was given the finest education money could buy by his father, Joseph Kennedy. Attended one of the most prestigious preparatory schools in the world. War hero as a commander of the legendary PT-109, won the Pulitzer Prize in 57 for his book Profiles and Courage. Now, despite his 
remarkable resume. His character flaws are equally as extraordinary. He had legendary dalliances with a number of women. In fact, the list is too long to go into. His sexual conquest included Hollywood starlets, women working on the White House staff, even a girlfriend of Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana. His wife Jackie and their children spent most weekends away from the White House on a farm in Virginia. And this was understood by those in the know as an accommodation by his wife as an allowance for him to pursue his sexual escapades over the weekend so she wouldn't be there to witness any of it. Now, many of those who idolized Kennedy later demonized him. Many in the coalition of allies he formed slowly became his adversaries. There's one story involving Frank Sinatra. He campaigned heavily for Kennedy, organized his inaugural gala, was considered a knight in Kennedy's Camelot. Well, nineteen sixty two, Kennedy was visiting Palm Springs and had planned to stay at Sinatra's house. And anyone getting the president as an overnight guest would be fully appreciative of the honor. No doubt Sinatra earned that uh, that um, accolade. Even built a helipad to accommodate the president's visit. But Bobby Kennedy was concerned about Sinatra's growing ties with organized crime. So at the last minute, the president opted to stay at Bing Crosby's house. Kennedy tried to smooth things over with Sinatra, claiming a security issue and even blamed the move on the Secret Service. And then he invited him to come over to Crosby's house during the stay, but Sinatra declined. Well, the relationship between Kennedy and Sinatra would never be the same. One element of the Kennedy election that's very few people look at today is his uh, affiliation with the Catholic Church. There's only been one Catholic ever elected president of the U.S. Just convincing an overwhelming Protestant U.S. to vote for a Catholic was an extraordinary feat. But with the aid of his father... Kennedy built a coalition that ranged in background from factory workers to celebrities. Now, years after the assassination, it was confirmed that prior to Dallas, there were two other assassination plots, one in Chicago and one in Tampa. They've been thoroughly discussed in a book called Legacy of Secrecy. The Tampa plot was aborted when Tampa law enforcement came aware of the details and Chicago plot was foiled when Kennedy canceled his trip at the last minute due to cons security concerns. Well, it's beyond disgraceful to consider how light the security was in Dallas on that day in November 1963. There were an estimated 200,000 people lining the motorcade route. Dozens of high-rise buildings with open windows and only 12 Secret Service agents guarding the president. And as a postscript to the general details on the motorcade itself, the Lincoln Continental, which Kennedy was riding, continued to remain in service until 1977. It was immediately cleaned up after the assassination rather than being held as evidence. 
It did go through a substantial redesign, which included addition of bulletproof glass, titanium armor plating, a permanent roof, as well as a change in color from midnight black to blue to black. Now, as Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy made the prosecution of organized crime leaders the central focus of his tenure. Organized crime was running rampant. Many thought it was an odd crusade for the Kennedys to help. RFK's focus on organized crime was considered nothing short of blatant hypocrisy by the mob. His father's connections to organized crime were historic, and they had helped get John Kennedy elected. They believed they had been the difference in Kennedy winning in Illinois in the 60, 1960 elections. And the mob also donated about a million dollars to the John Kennedy's campaign. And the Kennedy-Nixon election margins were very, very thin. In a nationwide vote, Kennedy beat Nixon by less than one quarter, one percent. Well... Now, there's some degree of dispute on how far along the so-called Bay of Pigs invasion plan was at the time Kennedy came into office. It had actually been put together during the Eisenhower administration, and the point man was Richard Nixon. They had assembled about 1,400 anti-Cuban exiles to overthrow Fidel Castro. The attempted invasion lasted only three days, and... Castro's forces soundly defeated the, the rebels. And although it wasn't Kennedy's plan, he signed on to it after he took office in 1960, this whole debacle happened on his watch. And despite pleas for U.S. military reinforcements when the rebels were being routed, Kennedy wouldn't agree to it. He didn't want the U.S. military to officially participate in hostilities. Arming the uh, anti-Castro forces and providing very limited air cover on unmarked military planes was as far as he was willing to go. But in spite of that, the failed invasion led to a humiliating defeat. And Castro responded by executing hundreds of political dissidents in Cuba. Among those executed were two CIA employees who were both U.S. citizens. December 21st, 1962, 1113 members of the 2506 Brigade returned to the U.S. in exchange for $3 million in food and medicine. Clearly, the CIA was in the assassination business, and that opened up a huge rift between itself and Kennedy for his unwillingness to do more to support the Cuban rebels. Well, after Kennedy was pronounced dead, Vice President Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson, was sworn in as the 36th president. Standing next to him was Jackie Kennedy, still wearing her blood-stained clothing. The initial fears of Johnson and most U.S. military leaders was this was the first part of a Russian attack. And this is why there was so much urgency for Johnson to be returned to D.C., in fact, Texas law required the body of the president to remain in Dallas for an autopsy. But in spite of that, Secret Service agents, with the weapons drawn, took Kennedy's bloody remains by force from Parkland Hospital and rushed the casket onto awaiting Air Force One. 
lot of the conspiracy theories revolve around the fact there was never a Texas autopsy, which supported the uh, the idea that it was a U.S. government cover-up. One of Kennedy's aides named Kenneth O'Donnell made the comment, I told the FBI what I heard, two shots from behind the grassy knoll fence, and they said it couldn't have happened that way, and I had to have been imagining it. So in the end, I testified the way they wanted me to. I didn't want to stir up any more pain and trouble for the Kennedy family. That quote came out of Tip O'Neill's book, Man of the House. O'Donnell was riding in the Secret Service follow-up car with Dave Powers, who was present, and told O'Neill he had the same recollection. Well, just before his death, Kennedy announced he is seriously considering a plan to bring home half our troops from Vietnam by Christmas and the remainder by 1965. And he canceled millions of dollars in military contracts as a result of this new direction he is planning to pursue with respect to the war. So there was a lot of discussion that perhaps the military-industrial complex wanted to kill him to keep the war going. Then there's the question about whether or not the financial elites may have had a hand in this. And to understand their rationale, answer me this question. What's money? Now, we can trace money all the way back in history to agrarian societies where commodities such as livestock and protest will be bartered and be served as trading currency. And as society evolved, more convenient forms of currency would replace barter. Historically, government coins would have an intrinsic value or a bullion value, so to speak, since they were created from pressure and battle. Today, gold and silver coins are for collectors. They're sold for their collector value, simply the raw value of the, of the bullion. Paper currency in the U.S. would hold a value of its own on the basis it could be redeemed for gold or silver. Till 1968, silver certificate dollars could be exchanged for the same face value of a silver dollar coin or a raw silver bullion. Well, there were a number of Meetings, secret meetings among bankers that would um, take place. One of the most um, influential was 1944 in the Bretton Woods Agreement. I was in New Hampshire. Out of that meeting came the International Monetary Fund and National Bank for Reconstruction and Development, known today as the World Bank. And it was an agreement to officially back the U.S. dollar to the value of gold. The exchange rate would be fixed at $35 an ounce. And that wouldn't be the first time the U.S. used the precious metal as a standard for a value for its currency. In 1792, the dollar was tied to silver. Well, in 71, Nixon abolished the gold standard, which ended the Bretton Woods system moved to a so-called floating currency 
and it's squarely blamed for the runaway inflation of the 70s. Now, there's a theory that was put to me yesterday, and after doing some research overnight, it has a logical basis. The Federal Reserve was created as a central bank. We don't call it that, but that's what it is. It manages the money supply, including interest rates on behalf of a nation, and it's the central banking mechanism in the U.S. In a variety of specific ways in which the Fed uh, performs this management, but two of the most prominent interest rate manipulation and open market operations. The Federal Reserve is the functional mechanism of the Federal Reserve Act, which was passed in 1913. And that came to life following the Panic of 1907. Primary mandate of the Federal Reserve Act is that special banks be set up for the purpose of providing an elastic currency within the U.S. And it's from here that the first real basis for substantial disagreement about the Federal Reserve came to exist because the matter of whether or not elastic currency is in the best interest of a nation and people is a point of contention. The Federal Reserve System is comprised of 12 regional banks that are overseen by a seven-member seven Board of Governor, each of which are appointed to 14-year terms by the President and approved by the Senate. And if the Board of Governors that the Chairman and Vice Chairman of the Federal Reserve uh, System are appointed by the President, they serve a four-year term, can be renominated for these positions as often as the President cares to do so. And each of the 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks has a president, which is nominated by that bank's board of directors. And this brings up a number of um, interesting questions. Now, the Fed is not representative of the foundations of America. In fact, it's a private corporation, and the stockholders are secret. I was told years ago that a large portion of the, uh, the stock in the Federal Reserve uh, was owned by the British royal family. Now, when you know about the historical basis for the founding of the U.S., it goes entirely against what the Federal Reserve represents. It's un-American, both in respect to its inherent makeup. It's a cartel of private banks masquerading as an institution that exists for the benefit of the public. It's also the lender of last resort to struggling financial institutions. And it's a backstop to the inherently unsound mechanism of fractional reserve banking. It also gets involved in uh, social engineering for uh, the benefit of a collectivist society. Now, June 4th, 1963, 
remember, Kennedy was assassinated November 22nd, 1963, but June 4th, he signed an executive order. Presidential Executive Order 11110. It's an amendment of Executive Order 10289 as amended relating to the performance of certain functions affecting the Department of the Treasury. Now, by virtue of the authority vested in him by Section 301 of the Title III of the U.S. Code, he said Executive Order 10289 signed September 19, 1951, as amended, is further amended by adding at the end of the paragraph 1 a subparagraph J. And that subparagraph J states that the authority vested in the President by paragraph B of Section 43 of the Act of May 12, 1933, as amended, to issue silver certificates against any silver bullion Silver or standard silver dollars of the Treasury, nothing held for redemption of any outstanding silver certificates. And rather than we get into the hoopla, basically he was making silver certificates a standard currency. Now, one of the things we were told in Watergate investigation was follow the money. And you can apply that to the Kennedy assassination. And of course, many of the assassination theories that have made the rounds, um, to one degree or another, have financial motivations. Now, it's a puzzle to a lot of researchers that the Fed has been left off the list of suspects in virtually every JFK assassination book written to date. Now, Jim Mars raised this issue in his book, Crossfire. Now, the executive order that I referenced earlier, 11110, gave the authority to the U.S. Treasury to print money with complete autonomy from the Federal Reserve. Generally, The Federal Reserve, according to Congress, Treasury controls the money. But in actuality, it's printed by the Fed, sold to the Treasury, and goes from there. But by this order, the Treasury became authorized to issue the silver certificates itself. That's a runaround the Federal Reserve. He authorized $4.3 billion of silverback currency to be printed. Another example, many say, of Kennedy becoming his own man and going up against the Washington power structure. He also wanted to stabilize the value of the dollar, which had been in decline. And a lot of folks speculated this was the beginning of the end of the Federal Reserve System. Now, silver certificates are not a new phenomenon in 1963. They've been around as far back as 1878. The amount of silver certificate currency in circulation was limited by the amount of physical silver the government had in its vaults. Because you could go in and demand an exchange one for one against silver at any point in time.
Now, the interesting thing is, with Kennedy assassinated, as soon as he could do it, one of his first actions by Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson, was to revoke Kennedy's executive order. Now, we'll talk more about what that meant in tomorrow's show. But at the moment, we've run out of time. So until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.